John chapter 10, and I just read verse 10. That's our text, the topical message this morning. John 10, 10 says, The thief cometh not, but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. So I titled the message this morning simply, The Abundant Christian Life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your precious word. I pray, Father, as we look in the Word of God today, that we would uh, give attention to hear. I pray you help us to see and understand the blessings that have been bestowed or given to us through the graces in our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you just encourage our hearts, challenge us, and may you be glorified. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting, I had read this some time ago, and I thought it was kind of fitting, that even the New York Times, in an op-ed, admits something the Times must hate about religious people. That's the title of the article by Hank Berry, and I think he writes for the Daily Wire. This was May 20th, 2019. He starts, quote, much to the chagrin of the New York Times, an op-ed in the paper discussing a study of married couples acknowledges that the happiest wives by far in America are those in politically conservative religious marriages. Study conducted by a professor of sociology at the University of Virginia, professor of marriage and family studies at Brigham Young University, an adjunct lecturer in the sociology department at Georgetown University found that 73% of wives who hold conservative gender values and attend religious services regularly with their husbands have high-quality marriages, unquote. You know, Jesus said that he came to give life and came that we might have it more abundantly. You know, many people struggle through their Christian life, and I think sometimes there's reason for that. They're ignorant of what our Heavenly Father has provided for us in, in, in an abundant life. It's a life of walking in liberty and the fullness of blessing of God. Now, it is not a life without trials and tests. But it is a life where we do have hope. And we have strength and the opportunity to overcome and endure the trials of life. So I was praying about this this week, and I just began to write down some things about the abundant Christian life. And I have seven. Seven's a nice, full, complete number, you know. And uh, so I'll try and get all seven in. I usually don't have seven points. But anyway, I don't have sub-points. So first of all, when we think about the abundant life or the life that we have in Christ, it is, and you know, some of these are very simple, but it is, it is eternal life. It is eternal life. You know, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here in John 10.28, he says, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. 
The word eternal means to never to cease, everlasting. It really means, really means, the literal meaning of eternal is, is without beginning and without end. You see, now everlasting has the idea of a beginning, but no ending. And, and the Bible speaks as if we have, we have everlasting life and we have eternal life. Now, you said that sounds kind of a little bit confusing, preacher. Well, think about it. We have been given the life of God. And God's life is without beginning and without ending. The Bible says that, that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life from the foundation of the world. See, God has foreknowledge too. Ephesians 4.18 says, Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. So we were alienated from the life of God, but now we have the life of God, and that life of God is eternal. Verse John 5.12 says, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Verse 20, And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us understanding that we know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. See, we have been given eternal life. It will have no end. You know, we look at it as having no end, but God looks at it as no beginning and no end. We have the life of God. And if it's the life of God, you know, think about it, if it's the life of God, who can take it from you? So, you know, people say, well, why would you believe in eternal security? Because it's the life of God. It is without beginning, it is without ending. Because it is God's life in us. So we have eternal life. It is eternal life. Secondly, it is a justified life. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The word justified means, it has the idea of with a positive idea predominant. Now, this is the positive predominant idea of justification. To judge, to declare, to pronounce righteous and therefore acceptable before God. Now, it says to declare or pronounce righteous and therefore acceptable before God. Think about it. We who are sinners by nature and choice have been declared by the Almighty God righteous. Therefore, being justified by faith. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are declared righteous by God. Now, I hate to put anybody on the spot this morning, but now Amber, now be honest with me. Now you live with him 24-7. Okay. Is he really righteous? 
I mean, righteousness means integrity, uprightness, correctness in thinking. Those kind of things all the time. Is he righteous? (laughs) All right, now, Bradley, I'm going to ask you. Before God, are you righteous? I guess God loves you more than she does. (laughs) But you know what? He does. He does. You know, he is not righteous. She knows. She knows he's got some problems. And he knows she's got some problems, too. By the way, we all got some problems, right? You're going to be honest this morning? We all got some problems. But in the sight of God, we are declared righteous. Now, th- can, you, can you think about this? God is holy. He's perfectly holy. And we are declared righteous to the point that we are acceptable to a holy God. One that is perfect. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says. You know, Romans 8, 2 says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. You know, we need to live that in reality. It will encourage you. We are free from the law of sin and death. We have been declared righteous by God. The song says, free from the law, oh, happy condition. Jesus hath bled and there is remission. Grace hath redeemed us once for all. You see, the Christian life is a justified life. You know, we all know. You know, some people think, some people accuse us of holier than thou kind of thing, you know. Oh, you just think you're better than everybody else. No, we understand. We've been declared righteous. We are, I think we all understand that we're not righteous in ourselves. We're not perfect. I mean, we're working on that. That's our next point. But we're working on that, but we're not. But we have been declared it by God. Of course, anyone else can too who will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So it is a justified life. Thirdly, it is a sanctified life. It is a sanctified life. Uh, The word sanctify simply means to separate from things profane and dedicated to God or to consecrate. Consecrate. It it means basically the same thing in the Old and New Testament. In 2 Chronicles 7, 16, the Bible says, For now have have I chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever, and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. In other words, God separated, or he he, he uses the word sanctified. Now, he set apart... The tabernacle, or in this case, it was the temple. He set apart that temple to place his name there. It was a special set-apart place. You know, the, we call this the auditorium or the sanctuary. It's, it's specifically set apart for the worship and the preaching of the Word of God. And we have been sanctified by God. 
Uh, again, in the New Testament, same means the same meaning. John 10, 36, Say ye of him who the Father hath sanctified and said in the world, Thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the Son of God. So Jesus was that set-apart one, that distinct one, set apart to be the Savior of the world. And of course, this, this sanctification is in several uh, states, you might say. This, you know, sanctification is first positional, in other words, it's a state of being, that is, we are set apart from sin and self to God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So he said, you've been sanctified. Your position is you've been set apart from your penalty of sin. You're no longer under under sin's condemnation. That's your position. You're set apart from sin to God. But sanctification is also progressive. In other words, it's ongoing. It's a process. It's a continual, and it means a continual process. Again, that's part of the definition of sanctification is a continual process to purify internally by reformation of the soul. For example, in John 17, 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You know, if you would dissect that statement that Jesus made to sanctify them through thy truth and thy word is truth you know as we dwell on and learn the word of God it has the power to transform to change our thinking and thereby change our lives from the inside out that's what sanctification is I'm afraid sometimes problem is we try to reform the old man we try to improve ourselves and it always ends in frustration the old man cannot be reformed he must be overpowered see our focus needs to be on on the Lord and learning of him like Mary she was setting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his word. She was re- and she rested in his promises. You know, she rested. Mary didn't go to the tomb. I don't think Mary believed he'd be in the tomb on the third day. She, she rested. She understood because she sat at his feet and listened and learned. And while Mary, Martha was busy about serving and making sure everybody had everything taken care of, and she was just busy, and, you know, full of activity, and but she didn't learn. And you know what? She was frustrated. Because over there sat Mary, listening to Jesus' words. Mary was at rest. Martha was troubled. You see, sanctification comes by listening and learning 
and renewing the mind. You know, we have to, we cannot reform. The old man cannot be reformed. We have to feed the new man. Sort of like a, I remember uh, one guy giving an illustration one time. Uh, he went to, he went to Germany after, right at, after the end of World War II, and it was in springtime, and there was these old leaves. He saw these old leaves falling to the ground. He thought, where are they coming from? And so he looked up in the trees, and there were still some remains of the leaves from last fall still on the trees, but now they were cut, coming off. But you see, it was the new growth, growth of spring forcing the old leaves off. We need to feed the inner man, and he can overpower, by the Spirit of God, overpower the old man. In Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, we see this principle taught. Ephesians 4 and verse 20 through 26. The Bible says, but ye have not so, notice this word, learned Christ. If so be ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. Wherefore, that ye, or, uh, uh, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, now notice, the wherefore is the result of learning and being taught by Christ. Wherefore, put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, and so on. See, see, we have to learn Christ, we have to be taught by him, that we may put off the old man and put on the new man. It's sort of like learning when you're growing up. You know you have to learn to dress for church. I mean... If you just let your kids wear whatever they wanted to all the time, you think Ryan would wear a, a suit and a blue shirt and a nice blue tie? If he's just left from the time he was two years old till he's 15, 14, 15? Now, he'd probably start looking around and say, Oh, I'm out of place here. You know. But you know, no, you learn. What to wear to what occasion? You learn that. And you'll start putting off the clothes that are not fitting or proper for the occasion, and you'll start putting on the clothes that are proper and fitting for the occasion. You know, as we learn about God, we're going to start putting off things that we know that aren't proper. We learn that aren't proper in the sight of God, and we're going to start putting on the things that are proper in the sight of God. It's called progressive sanctification. We call it growth. Growth. And it comes, again, it comes by the Word of God. Ephesians 5, verse 25 and 26. Husbands, love your wives. Jesus Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it 
with the washing of the water by the word. So it is, the church is sanctified by washing of the word. And of course, a husband is supposed to love his wife and to, and to cleanse and sanctify her in that way as well. You see, too, too often, instead of humbling ourselves and seeing our sin for what it is, we just lash out and blame others. You know, God wants to sanctify every part of you. You know, Ephesians 4, he wants to sanctify your words in verse, verse 25. He says, wherefore put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Uh, he wants to sanctify your anger, verse 26 and 27. Be angry and sin not, let the sun go pound upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. He wants to sanctify your conversation, uh, or, or I'm sorry, your covetousness or your selfishness. Verse 28, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. He wants to sanctify your conversation, verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that he may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. He wants to sanctify your heart attitudes, verse 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You see, God wants to sanctify every part of your life. And you start putting these, these truths, this knowledge of this truth, into your mind over and over and over again, and you saturate your mind with it, pretty soon it's going to start coming out. And when things come out that or an offense to God that you've learned about, you're going to be, the Spirit of God's going to bring guilt. He's going to convict you. And see, growth comes by knowledge. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. It, it all comes by knowledge. Jesus said, He that hath learned and been taught. Mary was learned and taught because she sat and listened. And she took it in. While Martha was busy about serving. It wasn't a bad thing that Martha was doing, but it was not the right thing priority at the time. You see, the Christian life is to be a life of sanctification. And that is not a one-time thing. That's a continual process. And, and, and brethren, it'll continue to the day you die or go to be with the Lord. Which you will. If you know the Lord, you're going to go to be with the Lord when you die. So it is, a, it is eternal life, it is the justified life, it is the sanctified life. But notice, fourthly, it is an overcoming life. It is an overcoming life. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, the Bible says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now as I considered this, thought of the overcoming life, there is an implication here I believe we often miss. And the implication is this, okay? To be an overcomer means to be victorious over something. 
What does that imply? A fight. Something you have to conquer. So it implies a struggle, a fight. Something has to be defeated. In other words, we're talking about a battle. You know, the Christian life is a battlefield. We have an old enemy, the old devil, the author of sin. And he desires to defeat and discourage us. And, so, and, and, we have a, and we also have the world that fights against us. And we also have self that fights against us. And our biggest enemy is not the devil. And the biggest is not the world. The biggest, our biggest problem is ourselves. D.L. Moody said, the, biggest, the man I have the most trouble with is the man that walks under this hat. You see, so we have these, these, these struggles that, that, that we, we, have, we have to deal with and that we, we have been given the opportunity to overcome. You know, Paul, you know, we think of the, the, the apostle Paul as a, a great man of faith who, did, who, who, who was the greatest missionary of all time. And we would say he was the, the greatest writer of the New Testament period. And, and, you know, we would say all these great things about the apostle Paul, but, you know, he often talked about struggles. In fact, some of his words speak of the most difficult struggles with the flesh. Go to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. And I know you're familiar with this passage, but Romans 7 verse 15 says, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate... That do I. If then I do that which I would not, and I consent unto the law that is good. Now there's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. So she said, if I do that which I would not, that I should, if I do something I should not, I'm consenting in myself that that thing is good. And, 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 and I'm saying, what I'm saying is, it's sin that dwells in me. You know he's, pro- you know he's having a problem with? His flesh. He says in verse 18, For I know that, is, that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no thing, good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. There is not in me, in this body, in this flesh, the, the, the wisdom, the power to do that which is good. He says it's not there. I said, oh, wait a minute. Paul... Gave up everything in life. I mean, he was, he, was, he was a popular guy. He was becoming famous. He had authority. He had rank among the Pharisees. But he gave it all up. He said, I don't, I don't find anything in me that's good. You know, there's a will there. There's a desire there. But how to perform it, it's not there. For the good that I would do not, but the evil which I would not, that do I. Now if I do that, I would not, is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, 
But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? So you know, he said, I, you know, in the inward man, I delight to do the law of God, but in my body, I am fighting against that. And who's going to give me victory? Who can help me? Who can give me the to over, or strength to overcome my body? Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. You know, Paul often referred to struggles he had with his flesh. In Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, in verse 4 through 6, you know, he talks about his flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he have whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. That's a pretty good pedigree if you're looking at something from the worldly standards. It'd be hard to beat in Judaism in that day. So he said, if you want to have confidence in the flesh... I could have confidence in the flesh. But look what that flesh led me to do. I hailed men and women and children, arrested them and dragged them to prison. I had some of them put to death. I persecuted the church. That's what my flesh led me to do. Verses 7 through 10, he talks about bringing in that flesh into subject power of God. Notice in verse 7, it said, But what, gain, what things were gained to me, those I kind of lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. He says, my flesh is worthless. There's no good thing in it. It's all like a dung heap. But Christ, it's not my righteousness. It's his that gives me power to overcome my flesh. You know, I think that struggle went on with Paul to the end of his life. Could you imagine if you were guilty of arresting people and put them in prison? Guilty of having people put to death. 
and then you go around preaching the gospel. You know, God saves your soul, but you go around preaching the gospel. Do you think you'd ever have struggles with what you used to do? You notice what Paul says in verses 12 through 14. Here in this passage of Philippians 3, he says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. And reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You see, if I'm going to continue to overcome, I've got to forget the past. The past can discourage you and defeat you. You know what? Even the victories of the past... If that's all you live in, the victories of the past can help you to overcome in the future, but you can't live in that. You've got to continue to press forward. You've got to continue to press forward. You know, what you read in your Bible yesterday is not going to do for tomorrow. The encouragement you get from the Word of God yesterday is not going to work for tomorrow. You need some tomorrow. See, we need to continually press forward. Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. You see, we can have overcoming life, but we have to forget about the past. All of us have things in the past that we'd like to forget about. And time to time, the devil's going to bring them up and say, see? You know, sometimes I think we may, we may ask God to forgive us over and over again, and I think sometimes God may say, what are you talking about? I already forgave you for that. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 54. 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter. In verse 54, it says, So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, this mortal shall put on immortality, then it shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verses 54 and 55 and 56 are talking about, you know, when, when we die, it, you know, it's kind of talking like future things. You know, when we, when we die or when the Lord comes, we're going to be changed and, and, and the victory is going to be complete. But verse 57 is talking about the present. Thanks be unto God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus. We already have it. It is ours. Therefore, 
Be ye, my brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Say, we already have it. It has been given to us now. And we can overcome. We can be overcomers in this life by simply believing God's promise. Yeah, that's what Paul did. He believed God. Remember when he was on that boat, and they were going, they were they were they were um, in that storm in Acts twenty-seven, I think it is, and they had gone what fourteen days without eating. They'd thrown everything overboard, except the bare necessities, and all hope that they should be saved was lost. And at one point, Paul says, "Sirs, I believe God." Therefore, take and eat. He got out food. He said, I believe God. Though we should not have, he reminded them, they should not, they should have listened to him and not have set out on this journey. But he said, not a hair of our head is going to be lost. I believe God. You see, we need to daily say, and remind ourselves and trust God. I say, I believe the promises of God. And it's through the promises of God that we can overcome in the struggles of life. So it is overcoming life. Fifthly, it is an abundant life. In John 10, 10 in our text, the word abundantly means over and above more than is necessary. Super added. I don't even know if that's a word, but that was in the dictionary, the lexicon. Super added. Exceeding abundantly, supremely, superior, excellent. You know, he promised, never leave us nor forsake us. John 14, 18 says, I will not leave you comfortless. The word comfortless has, has the meaning of I will not leave you an orphan. God does not have any orphans. He was promised to provide, Philippians 4 19, but by God to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. You know, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 33, Jesus is speaking to the disciples, says, Take therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or wherewith all shall we lose? You know, so don't worry about what you eat, don't worry about what you drink, don't worry about where you're gonna go shop to get your clothes. And he concluded that by saying, Your heavenly father knoweth you have need of these things. But seek ye first, came God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I mean, he knows when a spiral falls, and you have more value than many sparrows. He knows the hairs of your head. You see, God cares for you, so cast all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You know, Paul said in Philippians 4.11, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. Again, I have learned. In what sort of state I am, therewith to be content. You know, we need to learn to trust God in every circumstance. It is resting in God in every trial. To, you know, to, really, to learn means to increase one knowledge, one's knowledge, to be imbued. In, and that word imbued, I guess it's an old English word. It means to saturate. 
saturate. Saturate yourself with the knowledge of Christ. It will bring you rest. A trust in the promises of God. Then number six, and i got to hurry. It is, uh, you might find this kind of funny, the optimistic life. You know, I look around the world and it's very discouraging. I was reading the other day, uh, the Daily uh, Sentinel, I think it's called. I get from Heritage Foundation's clips and there's usually five things. And, and it says, the, the one title, the one was, We Fought the Transgender Battle and Lost. That's very discouraging. But then it gave five things. To be aware, you know, because they are very organized. And this is kind of a new thing. And, and most people don't know how to deal with this thing. You know, the world's a very discouraging place. But I'm optimistic. Because we have a God. And in God, there's hope. Psalm 16, 8 through 11 says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad. My glory rejoices. My flesh also shall rest in hope. Uh, you know, you know, we can have hope in this troubled world. We can have hope for victory over sin because we have a God of all power. Some people just kind of give up and say, well, I, I just can't, you know, I just can't get over this. I can't get victory over it. You know where that comes from? The father of lies. The old devil. God can show you his royal path of life, and you can be greatly blessed. Some of them may say, well, I just don't know how to witness. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, think about what that statement says. Follow me, and I will make you. In other words, if you follow Jesus, he will make you a fisher of men. You know, God commands husbands to love wives, wives to learn to love husbands. You know, God's commandments are his enablements. And if the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost... You know, when God's love is abundant and largely distributed, that's what shed abroad there means, it's spilling over. It's the idea. It will happen. It comes by saturation. You see, what I'm trying to say to you this, this morning is, our God is the God where everything is possible. Nothing is impossible. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. I was talking to Brother Forney a couple of years ago about Shaw's. And he said, yeah, their, their story of how God provided for them is nothing, nothing short of miracle after miracle after miracle. They at one point looked into buying a house kit to build and, and, and try and find a piece of property in Greenland. 
but they gave it up because it was too expensive to get it shipped and then the property and all that. You know, they just couldn't afford it. And a year or two later, God provided a house that's just like the one they were looking at in the kit. But you know what? At one point, he was looking at an apartment. When he went into the apartment to look at it, the honey bucket, honey bucket, the portable toilet was full and running over, had been left for a long time. And he went to the phone booth and called his pastor weeping. He said, what do I do? His pastor said, Chris, step out of the phone booth and put one foot in front of the other. Now they have a house like one they looked at that they wanted provided for them. You know, Psalm 84.11 says this, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Hey, anything is possible. You may think, you know, I can't have whatever because of whatever. That's a lie. That is a lie. But number seven, and this is the most important one, it is a surrendered life. John ten twenty seven says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And what does it mean to follow? You know, sheep, sheep go wherever the shepherd leads them. They're in submission to, they're in dependence upon the shepherd 24-7. The word follow really means to conform wholly to his example in living and if need be in dying also. That's what the word follow here means. To conform wholly to his example in living and in need be if dying also. So, you know, we say, oh, I'm saved, I believed on Christ, I've trusted him, but the question is, are you following him? In circumstances at home, do you follow him? It, it, in, in, uh, in your relationships, in circumstances at work, do you follow him in your work ethic? In recreation time, do you follow him? Are you conformed to him in your recreation time? You know, too often we think recreation time, we can turn God off, like a radio, turn him off. You're following him is a daily, hourly, minute-by-minute thing. You don't leave him when you leave the assembly. If you want the overcoming, sanctified life, a life of assurance, don't ever tune him out or turn him off. He will grieve the spirit. You see... It all comes by a surrender, a continual surrender or a continual following of him. 
Victory is in him. Following him. It means to submit to, to believe, and to obey his word. You know, Proverbs 2 talks about seeking him as we would seek silver or gold. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and here's that word again, learn of me. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You know, we, most of us, many of us have grown up learning wrong things. You know, some of you young people that have grown up in a church like this have a great advantage over some of us who didn't. Because there are things, a lot of things I had to unlearn. But we can learn them. You can teach an old dog new tricks if he's willing. See, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest under your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden light. The Christian life is an abundant life. You know, the thief cometh not but to steal steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, I am come, they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. But we only, we're going to have this abundant life when we apply ourselves to make it a reality in our lives. We must learn. Allow him to teach us. We have to apply ourselves. The question is, are you applying yourself to it? Are you following daily, learning daily? And do not be discouraged. Just like school, you have to learn your ABCs before you can read. And you have to learn to add before multiplication. You know, interesting, interesting, the Bible says add to your faith. See, when you start learning some things, God will start adding other things. It's an adding process. Again, the abundant life. The question is, are you following him?